Please pray with me. God, we do trust you for this day. We worship you, Lord, and pray that your, your spirit would be at work in our hearts and minds. Lord, we need you this morning to give us truth. Lord, help our hearts not to reject that truth. Help us to know that Christ came to set us free, Lord, to give us wisdom, to give us life eternal, to give us life abundant and full, Lord. So we submit to you this morning, Lord, I pray for every heart, every mind that's here for illumination of that mind and transformation of the heart, Lord, that only can come by your spirit. Holy Father, I do trust that you are at work right now, Lord, no matter how we feel at this moment, if we enjoyed the worship or we just didn't feel anything during the, uh, the singing of uh, worshipful songs, Lord, I pray that we would know that you are a God who is sovereign, who is omnipresent, and uh, especially here in the praises of your people, Lord, as we gather to hear your word, as the Lord Jesus is the one we seek to know, Lord, for he was in the fullness of your image to us, Lord. Help us to see, God, that any confusion we have in, in what we think you might be like, uh, it comes to more completion. It does come to completion in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Thanks for coming this morning. Better late than never, huh? Always love to run into church, right? It's all good, right? God loves us. He's glad we're here anyway. You know, it doesn't matter what time you get here, right? <laughs> well, good morning. Thank you for coming. My name is Joel Chire. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my pleasure to speak from the Gospel of Mark this morning. We're making our way through Mark. Some of the pastors are saying that, you know, it's really... Um, challenging to go through a book to see the life of Christ and, and to really compare a lot of things that happen in your life and, and how maybe you would put yourself in certain situations in the gospel and, uh, and wonder how you would respond. You know, I, uh, I would warn you that if you always respond, oh, I would never do that, you know, to all the bad things. And, oh, I would definitely, that's me, all the good things that happen there. <laughs> that's... Uh, that's probably not, you're not examining yourself maybe quite as much as you should be. So the other day I was at the gym and, and uh, I was playing some racquetball, which was probably a mistake because I had just played a couple games of, uh, of basketball. So I wasn't, I didn't have the most energy to play some racquetball and I was going to play this guy that, that he's, he's pretty good. I mean, I beat him, but, but it takes effort to do it. You know, racquetball is kind of funny. Because sometimes you play it and you play somebody either really bad or really good, you know. And uh, when you find somebody who's very comparable to you, it makes you work uh, a lot, you know. Uh, if they're really good, you just kind of stand there and they score and you, the game's over, you know. If you're, <laughs> if you're the one who's good, you're just kind of making them run everywhere. So uh, this guy I was playing and, and uh, I beat him the first game, but then after that I was gassed out. He whipped me pretty good the next two games. And so afterwards, uh, I, was, I was saying to him, man, I'm glad that 
that uh, life isn't about winning a racquetball game because it would really suck right now, <laughs> you know, because I'm not feeling very encouraged from that. Plus, I was really tired, man. I mean, a couple of times I kind of collapsed on the floor and I said, I, I don't think I should get up, you know, but the game wasn't over, so I had to. <laughs> so anyway, so so I brought up the the thing that everybody brings up, right? I said, man, what what is the purpose of life, right? I mean, don't you ask people that every day? Well, I don't, but I don't know, for some reason I just, you know, I just said that. It just came out, and, uh, and he said, well, it's about happiness, you know. Everybody wants to be happy, and, and I, said, I said, really, um, what, uh, what happens if, if my happiness hurts you, you know? What happens if what makes me happy causes you harm? And, uh, and sometimes we don't even notice that, I think, sometimes, that our happiness can cause other people harm. And he said, well, you know, we've each got to find our own way. And I said, so we're just kind of left to, to drift and, and not, uh, not know. I said, how about if somebody came and they said they did know? How about if, if they, um, in fact, said life is in them and without them, there is no life? In fact, Christ said that. I said, what do you, th- what do you think about that? The resurrection just passed. He rose from the dead. He claimed to know these things and to be sure of them. Is he, is he speaking the truth or is he lying? And does it, does it really matter? And uh, I think he had some kind of, uh, you know, affinity to, to Christianity. And, and he said, well, I don't like to impose my religion on others. You know, and I said, well, why not? You know, if, if I'm talking about more than that, I'm talking about life here. If you have a, 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 a disease that is going to take your life, and, and I have the cure for that disease, should I just say, well, hey, you need to figure that out yourself. And hopefully you'll, you'll figure it out. Or do I, in fact, give you that which will cure you, that which will give you life? And he said, well... Well, that's different. You know, that's different. I said, no, I don't, I don't think it is. You know, I think you're not taking it seriously who God is. And uh, again, I, like I said, he had a belief system that was mainly based on experience, is what I gathered as we conversed together. And, and he had this, this basic belief in Christian morality, but, but he really didn't surrender to the Bible itself because he, he made some some comments about, um, you know, the scripture and his disbelief in some of the things that were, were there. Maybe if I have time later, I'll share some of that because I'll, I'll, I'll end this morning, too, with, with how our conversation ended. But, uh, again, his, his, his spirituality, his religion was based on his experience and, uh, and he had some some experience with other religions. I think uh, a mother and a father that were from different religious beliefs, and and a, and two religious beliefs that are really diametrically opposed to each other. And I said, "How can these two be true? And uh, how can you how can you somehow say that it's the same God when in fact the one of them actually doesn't even believe in in a God?" And then, of course, is the classic, well, you know, they're, they're good people. And, and, I, and I think so-and-so is very spiritual. And so I said, 
Oh, and then he, he commented how, how, you know, his belief system isn't like most uh, Christian people, you know, very different, when in fact, I felt like it, it was very much the same. I, I get into different conversations, and, and a lot of people have those kind of views, that you just kind of pick and choose what you want, and there's nothing there to measure if, in fact, what you're believing is true. And so that's what I was trying to, trying to lean him towards the Scripture, um, that it does give us truth. Again, I find that many who profess a belief in Christ don't really understand what God, what Christ has called people to, from death to life. That joy, happiness cannot be found apart from Him, not in the sense of God's definition of it. And so this morning, I, I hope that we can see that Christ calls us, right? He calls, as He called the apostles, uh, to be in relationship, to be in community, and then, then they're sent out. And, uh, you know, I really see that as a formative, formative thing, you know, that where they're, the, the relationship you have with, with Christ, but not with just Him alone. You, you need other people. And, of course, we have the Scripture to measure what is true of what we're believing and uh, hopefully we're not picking a Christianity or a spirituality of our own choosing apart from the Scriptures. And we're just kind of creating it in and of ourselves. Again, that's what I find many times these days, which I would say is very dangerous. Uh, on the list, at the bottom of the list that I'm going to read, that, he, that uh, Chris read about the disciples, is Judas Iscariot. And uh, so... I wonder what he, what he thought, what his definition of Christ was. Rather than who Christ was presenting himself to be. So, let's just take a quick look here at Mark 7 through 12, of course. There's kind of a summary here of Jesus' ministry. Not all of it, but, but many of the same things, right? There's great crowds that, that continue to come around him. Uh, although he lists here Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, Tyre, and Sidon, some would say that, that it's, it's like to emphasize that almost all the nations, right, all the surrounding are coming to hear the gospel, right, the, the, uh, the promise to Abraham that, that all the seed of the earth would be blessed through, through the one seed, Christ, is beginning to come true that every nation would come. Every ethnic group seems to be mentioned in this short verse here. And uh, they came because of what Jesus was doing, right? He was healing. As Chris said, he was a great physician. The, the doctor comes to heal those who are sick, those who know they're sick. And that's, that's another point have made to this this friend that I was playing racquetball with, right? If you don't even know you're sick, why would you want the cure? You know, and, and sometimes people have to realize how sick they are. That sin really is debil debilitating. But here in the gospel, by this point, Jesus is affirmed. He's affirmed by Mark. He's affirmed by the Father from heaven. 
He's affirmed by the disciples, right? The great crowds are coming to him and, and even the demons are crying out. This is the son of God. And the only ones who don't recognize who Jesus is, they don't recognize his authority are the religious, the elites uh, of the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees, all these religious folk. They don't seem to respect the authority to which Jesus is speaking. I mean, even the demons have a better theology than they do. Their religion has blinded them to the truth. And that's a, that's a frightening thing. I think it is. Because you look at Jesus when he says, you know, there'll be those who come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do thus and such? And that Lord, Lord is, is a term of endearment. Right. It's it, you, you hear that repetition several times throughout the Bible. Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel. It's, it's like, hey, I know you come close to me. And Jesus says, I don't know you. What is it? That those who can say, I know you, Jesus, and he can say to them, I don't know you. That's kind of it's kind of a scary thing. You know, what is going on? What is blinding me? To what is true? Jesus calls the apostles verse 13, he calls them the ones he desires, He goes up to the mountain, right? And these men were first called disciples. We see them called by Jesus. But then now, more specifically, they're apostles. They have this, this uh, occupation to, to take the word out and preach. He's, they're the sent ones, I think is what apostle means there. And these were called like the prophets of old to bring the word of God to the people. To cast out demons, to do miracles, the miraculous, to show the signs and the wonders to verify that Jesus really is who he claims to be because he gives us this authority and now we carry the authority to you to release the captives. Of course, these apostles became the foundation of the church. Some claim uh, currently to be apostles these who can do signs and wonders. Again, I would, I would wonder about that. But these apostles were the foundation much as, as uh, I'm thinking of, of Ephesians chapter 2. If you look there, you see verse 19. So then you are no longer speaking to the church, strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So these apostles, I think, are, are quite different than the apostles that may, may claim apostleship in this day. That they were specifically chosen by Jesus Christ. Of course, Paul, we would place in that, too, because he was visited personally by Christ several times, given a ministry by him verbally and in his presence. So why the 12? Well, Jesus really is 
intentionally forming here a new Israel, right? Which would be called the church. It would be the sent, we'd be centered on him and commissioned to bring good news to every tongue and tribe and nation and people. Old Israel, remember the sons of Jacob, the 12 sons of, of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, they failed to bring the light into the nations. They turned quickly to their idols, to the idols of the land around them, the money, the sex, the power, whatever it was that drove them away, maybe just their own way they wanted. But the church will not fail. It cannot fail because Christ himself says so. It is the pillar and foundation of the truth. It is a people who have been called by God, gathered to him and sent out, empowered by the spirit to do what the children of Israel again failed to do. Jesus is a greater Moses than the Moses of the Old Testament. Well, let's look at a few of these characters that are listed here just briefly. You know, who were these men? Peter, of course, is married, if you didn't know that. Jesus healed his mother-in-law a couple chapters ago. And uh, he's a fisherman, of course. He's a former disciple of, of John. And, and, of course, he's really bold. He's often a spokesman for the group. And uh, he is the first to profess Jesus as Messiah, but then he's the first, too, to deny Jesus. He's a pillar in the church, though. He, he gets to witness uh, the raising or, or the resurrection of Christ. He sees him. I think he's one of the first, the men. The women saw Christ first, and he's, I think, one of the first guy that saw him. And, uh, and so he was a great pillar in the church. You, see, you can read about him in the book of Acts. Much of the first um, 10 to roughly 15 chapters speak a lot of Peter and uh, his work. Of course, he wrote First and Second Peter. James and John, their mother could have possibly been uh, Salome. Their family was very prosperous. We saw that, that, that uh, they had a boat. They hired servants, so not everybody does that. They're fishermen, right? They're called the sons of thunder, James and John. James is, is first, so more than likely he's probably the older of the two. Although John is kind of more predominant, right? You see him more in, in the gospel spoken of. And, uh, and then later we see him spoken of. He's with Peter as he goes to the Samaritans. When before he was calling down with Jesus, says, call down um, lightning, fire, and burn up these Samaritans because they're not accepting your, your uh, truth, Lord. Uh, later, of course, he will be with Peter to see the Gentile inclusion into the church and he's witness to that he's banished to Ephesus or to Patmos from Ephesus and and he writes revelation he wrote of course the gospel of John and first second and third John and so even Paul speaks of him I, I believe in Galatians 2 so John another very prominent person within the disciples here one that we would recognize I'm not going to go through all the names here but um, Matthew, the tax collector, we heard about him uh, a chapter ago, and 
and then you have Thomas the doubter. He's not spoken of here as a doubter, but if you've, if you've read through the, the Gospel of John, you see him doubting the Lord Jesus' resurrection. You know, I need to see him. I need to touch him with my hands. Simon the Zealot, right? He's a member of this group of fanatics who oppose this domination of Rome and does trying everything to get out from underneath this domination of the Romans in Palestine. You know, vehemently opposed to them. And so the apostles, from all outward appearance, don't, don't seem like the kind of guys that maybe we would choose to change the world. But I don't feel like that a lot of times either. But I know that Christ can, and I think they knew that Christ could. And I think the more they gave themselves to that, the more they became the men that they were meant to be. So the apostles here are called to center on Christ, to be with Him. They're called by Him, and they're commissioned. They're sent out. They're sent out to preach the gospel, to do miracles in the name of Christ. And they stumble at that in many ways, but in many ways there is success too. You can read in the different gospels those things that happened, uh, their successes, their failures. But what does it look like for us? What does it look like for us to be the disciples of Christ, to be the church now here in the present world? Well, number one, I think we, we have to, as the disciples had to have known, well, maybe they didn't. They're chosen by grace. God chooses them. God chooses us. He somehow mysteriously opens our eyes to the gospel. And, and the longer that I'm a Christian, the more it just baffles me, you know, the, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, you know. But those things are not mutually exclusive, right? I'm not absolutely free. But God is absolutely in control. And so my freedom, there's a lot of things that I'm not free to do, right? I, I didn't choose who my parents were. I didn't choose where I was born. I didn't choose how tall I am. I didn't choose how, how uh, you know, my, my family, how many members there would be in my family and so on and so on. There's tons of things that I just did have nothing, no control over. And why would it be silly for me to say that I had no control almost, it seems like, to come into Christ. You know, sometimes when people ask you, you know, why are you a Christian? You ask a Christian that, and many times they'll, they'll, they'll give their story of how they became a Christian. But that shouldn't be why you're a Christian. Otherwise, you, you, you simply had an experience and you came to Christ. Rather than, well, you might have had an experience, like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, Brad Pitt had with, with the monks in, uh, you know, Seven Years in Tibet, that movie he made. He had this experience with the monks. I must be a Buddhist, you know. I've got to be a Buddhist because I've had this experience now. Something must be above that experience in our lives. We have to see a sovereign hand of God choosing us by grace. Right? Jesus calls those whom he desired, says verse, verse 13. Jesus desires, and, and the first thing I... I thought about when I read through that is, of course, 1 Corinthians. If you want to look at 1 Corinthians with me quickly, is uh, one of my favorite 
sections there in 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I think that's a, that last part I just came to me. Uh, I think that's a quote from Isaiah. Um, but what do we have to boast in? Well, I'll tell you what I can boast in. That it is Christ's wisdom. If I have any wisdom in me at all, it's Christ. If I have any righteousness, it's Him. That my sanctification, the more I become more like Him, is because of the Spirit of God who's working within me and cleansing me, redeeming me. It is a process. I am redeemed at one moment, but it is a continual thing. If you're a Christian and you've been there for a while, Maturing, you don't need to sit back. It's time to press harder to know Christ into relationship, to love Him, to seek Him, to know what He's called you for. This is really, this goes against religion, right? Religion is based on your merits. The Pharisees, they have their, their credentials, and of course God will accept them. Look at how wonderful they are. But we like the apostles, and of course the Pharisees were that way too, but they didn't recognize the hard-heartedness. We can be hard-hearted too. We can also be slow to understand the Scripture. That's why we need the Scripture day after day, because we're slow to hear it. We're quick to hear it for others. Oh yeah, that's a good verse for so-and-so. Oh, that's a better one for her. But what about those verses for my heart? We can be very cowardly. Very cowardly. And so we should know we're called by grace. It should humble us. It humbles me. It humbles me beyond belief. But as disciples, we're called to preach the gospel in whatever context, right? God has called me out of the job that I had before I was 20 years at Bash's and uh, called me into this context. You might not be there. Many of you are not there. Most of you. But you have to love and communicate that truth graciously to others and be challenged to do so. Otherwise, again, you are being cowardly. Or maybe you think like this other guy. Well, I don't want to impose things on other people. Uh, you know, I don't think you understand the holiness of God. Who God is. We are in some sense like these apostles, but again, we're not the foundation. We are part of, of the church, but these guys, they had a special, a special um, task ahead of them, and they would pay dearly for it. 
some people or a lot of people want to do great things for God. But suffering ain't one of them. <laughs> that ain't one of them. These guys went, went through a lot of that. Paul also was called and, and told, you know, the great things that you must suffer for the Lord. That doesn't sound very encouraging, <laughs> right? Uh, but we can't come to Jesus just to get our needs met. We have to re recognize that we are serving the one who served us beyond measure. What is it that I can't serve someone in if Christ has served me in every way possible and beyond what I would ever serve, ever contemplate serving, suffered for me, loved me? So, number one, again, we're called by grace. We've got to recognize that. Number two, we will not be effective in communicating our relationship with Christ if our lives are not centered in Him. Right? He calls them to Himself. Verse 14, to be with Him. And we need to spend time there listening, talking, meditating to strengthen the inner life so that when we express that faith in the outer life, the two match each other. And again, they're not two different things. It's not enough to know about Jesus. We must spend that time in relationship. Relationships happen, and I think together too, more than not, as we're around others, not just set times, but always realizing that God is. Right? It's one of the reasons I love to set the Psalms on my phone to remind me to read and to think again. God is in control here. He is on the throne still. And I can be so blind to that, right? Just like I could close my eyes and I don't see the light. I kind of I feel a little reflection, you know, if I cover them even more. The, you know, the light isn't gone. It's that I've closed my eyes to the light. And it's the same with Christ. If, if, in fact, we don't realize that He is reigning, if we're closing our hearts, closing our minds to those things, we won't see it. We can't see it. We refuse to see it. So we need community is the third thing. We need community. Number two, we need relationship. Number three, we need community. That relationship comes in a context with others. Notice that uh, many times, most of the time, Jesus was with somebody. He got off by himself at times to pray, but most of the time at least Peter, James, and John were with him. Uh, a couple times with, with some people who came to visit, but the majority of the time, there were people around. And as we need other people to come into relationship, as one author says, with crisis, to automatically come into a new family that, would, that, wouldn't normally be that we wouldn't normally be associated with, right? perfect example of that is Matthew and the zealot, Simon. Here you have a, a collaborator with the Romans, a traitor to his own people, and he's brought into a family with a, another guy who wants to do the exact opposite. He wants to overthrow the Romans. He hates them and desires nothing more that they be wiped off the earth. And these two guys come into the same family. 
wonder if they ever had a few discussions as family members. You think maybe they did? <laughs> well, we don't have any recorded. No, no, no. They became automatically holy and everything was fine. So if you're not in community with other believers, as one author says, who are now linked by Christ in a way they could never be in the world, well, then you're not a disciple of Christ. And we don't like that in this individualistic kind of world. Like I have my religion, I have my spirituality, and you can't judge my spirituality. Well, yes, I can. Because the, the, the word, if the word is what it says it is, if God really has spoken, then that word must judge me and it must judge you. As I said, as I spoke to this guy, friend that I had played racquetball before, I whipped him before pretty good. But this time it was, I've got a lot of excuses. You want to hear them? No. <laughs> but uh, this conversation I had with him, he, as I said, he had, he had some doubts about the Scripture, and, and, uh, and he mentioned some of that doubt. So I went quickly to, to kind of give him some, some reasons to believe the Scripture, why it's infallibility. It cannot fail if we trust it. And then I asked him if he reads the Bible then, if he claims this Christianity in some way. You know, no, I don't read the Scripture. And I said, well, then how are you going to know God? How are you going to even know that the experience you had was from God? Well, I know because I changed, you know. They said I was one way before I had this experience. Now I'm, I'm a good person now. I said, really? I said, well, I can tell you the Scripture is true. And that you, if you profess this Christ, he affirms the Scripture. And so I tried to encourage him to read. And, uh, and I said, may I, may I pray with you? And so I prayed with him there in the gym before he left. I prayed that God would show him truth and that he would actually take the challenge to read the word and let it examine his own heart. So here's where I would remind you about the last person on the list I didn't mention before. I said, oh, we didn't mention Judas Iscariot, right? Well, I mentioned him before and, and I mentioned him here. He was one of the 12 chosen by Jesus. Witnessed the miracles the authority and power of Christ, and yet blind to the mission. And I don't think Jesus measured up to the guy he thought he should have been. And so I think he made his own Jesus inside. Who do you want Christ to be for you? And do you pick the things that you like about him and you leave those other things alone that you don't? Are you making a Christianity of your own choosing? A spirituality of your own? Or are you submitting to the Word? It is hard sometimes. There's some things in the Scripture. Oh man, they challenge me. They really do. And I can sit in judgment of God. God, that wasn't very nice of you to do that, God. Do I need to tell you what it is to be kind to people, God? How to treat them, God? You need to be more tolerant, Lord. What's the matter with you? That's why people try to pit the old and the new against each other, right? But there's no more repeated verse in, in the Old Testament than that God is slow to anger. 
abounding in mercy, steadfast love. That's who he is. Then, that's who he is. Now, that's who he was in the New Testament too. And so submit your way. Be careful. Hebrews warns us. Hebrews 3.12 Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Leading you to fall away from the living God. I wonder if Judas would have recognized, would have checked his own heart if he would have heard that verse, if that verse was around at that time. It wasn't yet. Judas was a man who was trying to build his own kingdom, though. He had his own way. He had Christ pegged for who he should be. And when he didn't fit that mold, he was going to try to fit Jesus into that mold. And then that kind of blew up, too. Many individuals are trying to build their own kingdom, trying to go their own way. When God calls us to himself, he gathers us together to know him, to love him, and then sends us out. How do we know what to say when we go out unless we have been strengthened in the inner man and not trying to make God in our own image? This is the God I want. And the scripture need to submit to that. No. Scripture must come over what you believe and think about God. It must. It must. It must. Or you will be in grave danger. The only way that we are righteous, have wisdom, are sanctified is through the cross. The cross alone, we forget about sin. Sin is so easy to forget about. Maybe because there's so much wickedness that we can be exposed to in a heartbeat, in a, in a second on the TV, and, well, I'm not like that. And so we, we don't see our own wickedness, the wickedness of our own heart. But we as people are called by Christ, gathered by Him, to listen to the King, to pray, to learn, and we're gathered into community. We can learn so much from each other. Right. You, you see how different people are when they're around different people. I even noticed this with a little I took my little granddaughter to the park. Yesterday, right and with me, you know, she falls down, you know, it's OK. honey. And then later at the park, she fell off of the bench. It was even a harder fall, you know, but this other little girl was there and his little boy is like, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> you know, what's up with that? Why, why do you have you know, why do we change like that? You know, uh, even little kids. But it's not just little kids. It's, we do that, too. I mean, in some sense, you have to do that, right? If the president came in, you wouldn't say, oh, okay, hi there. <laughs> you, oh, okay, it's the president, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I'm not a different person. I don't want to be a different person here than I am out there. And I hope that you don't either. But we're gathered as a community. We're given this good news. By grace, centered in Christ and in community. Pray with me. God, we trust you for this message, Lord, that it would penetrate the heart. Help us, none of us, Lord, to have an evil, unbelieving heart. I pray that if we have any, any sign that we reject your word and we don't like it, Lord, 
We don't like some of the things you have done, God. I pray that we would submit to it. That we would ask questions, Lord, of others in the church. The pastors, those who have been through the difficulties, are farther along in the journey, Lord. Our Father, you have given truth to us. You promise that your word is infallible. It is able to transform the heart of man and make us more like Jesus. I pray that we would trust that, God, not avoid each other, not be afraid to be exposed, Lord, by your word and by others. Help us be molded and shaped by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.